it will save lives if we can achieve the vision of putting in place in the next five years a stronger global early warning system. It's not just false advertising. Bogus net zero claims drive up the cost that ultimately everyone will pay, including people who will pay the most who are not in these rooms. And let's tell it like it is. Using bogus net zero pledges to cover up massive fossil fuel expansion is reprehensible. Welcome to day two of the daily UN COP27 podcast. Actually, that's a terrible name, isn't it? Can we do better than that? Or how about this? The lid is hot. No? All right, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Charmel shaken, not stirred. <laughs> no, that's no? terrible. Good cop, bad cop. No. Okay, so welcome to day two of the daily UN <laughs> COP27 podcast with Whoa. aeroplane accompaniment overheads <laughs> taking off from nearby airports. So we're, we're still looking for a place to record these podcasts. We have a change of venue because yeah. we decided we sounded like we were in a hole somewhere. It wasn't very pleasant. We're actually in the office. Our colleagues are trying to ignore us. Kingsley, hello. Okay, Kingsley's saying hello. Momoko from Munich, Tokyo, hello. Devi from New York, hello. And uh, Runa, Nathan, can they hear us? Hello. No, they're all the way in the back. Just to prove it's not just us doing this in New York. It's the second day of the World Leaders Summit. Again, what are we calling it? Climate Implementation Summit. But it's the same thing. It's a steady procession of prime ministers and presidents addressing delegates in the main plenary hall. And we've been trying to follow as much as we can, whilst continuing to struggle with finding our way around and still searching for a good place to get coffee. Hopefully, it's going to get easier once the world leaders go home. I really hope so, we because pray. we are running out of gas here. We really are. <laughs> All right, so you're going to bring us, what, the highlights from the main sessions. And, well, there are a million side events, so uh, yep. we, we're going to get round to that later on in the week. I got to speak to Martin Griffiths, the head of humanitarian affairs at the UN and Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, both of whom are involved in the UN's early warning system plan, which could mean life or death to millions of people around the world. So it's a really important project. But anyway, let's get back to the events today. So the Secretary General is still here with us. He'll be here until tomorrow, I think. He spoke at several events. Which one should we start with? How about the Net Zero Expert Group? Definitely, well, that was his top event. As, as you might recall, last year, at COP26, he announced that he was going to appoint a group of experts to kind of look around uh, the promises that a lot of non-state actors, meaning like companies, uh, other sorts of businesses, finance, banks, etc., made to uh, be net zero, meaning they were going to go carbon free and not not use fossil fuels, right? So uh, that wasn't clear how that was going to be measured. But now with this report, uh, it has become much clearer. Well, I thought it was going to be very technical and hard to understand, but it was, it was interesting. They focused the whole thing on fighting against greenwashing. Yes, exactly. Uh, he said that we must have zero tolerance for net zero greenwashing because uh, what happened, what the leader found out was that a lot of these promises, when they went and, and, and you know, evaluate these this, this promises, while what a lot of cities, these include cities as well, while well, a lot of cities and businesses are actually changing, for example, cities are changing their uh, electricity uh, to to be green. You know, you're using renewable renewables. Businesses have have stopped connections with fossil fuel companies. But then they found 
doubt that many other companies were saying that they were going net zero, but they were still, for example, funding uh, com ex other companies that might have relation with fossil fuels or deforestation or some other activities uh, related to um, that are obviously destruct destroying our environment. So it was all about um, that net zero pledges go beyond empty slogans. Well, let's listen to an excerpt from his remarks and also those of Catherine McKenna, the former Canadian Environment Minister and the chairperson of the group. The message is clear to all those managing existing voluntary initiatives, as well as CEOs, mayors, governments, governors committing to net zero. Abide by this standard and update your guidelines right away and certainly no later than COP28. I also have a message to fossil fuel companies and their financial enablers. So-called net zero pledges that exclude core products and activities are poisoning our planet. They must thoroughly review their pledges and align them with these new guidance. And let's tell it like it is. Using Bogle's net zero pledges to cover up massive fossil fuel expansion is reprehensible. It is rank deception. This toxic cover-up could push our world over the climate cliff. The sham must end. So first, the good news. According to a recent report, over 80% of global emissions are covered by net zero pledges. Cities and regions that are reducing their emissions by transforming their grid with renewables and moving to district heating, building new public transit and cycling paths, retrofitting their buildings, companies that are future-proofing themselves, investing in innovation and driving down emissions while supporting the businesses, often very small businesses, through their supply chain to do the same. Investors that are moving their investments from dirty to clean and investing in companies around the world that are building a cleaner future. But now the bad news. Too many of these net zero pledges represent little more than empty slogans and hype. And consumers are right to be skeptical. Why is greenwashing so bad? In part, it's because the stakes are so high. It's not just false advertising. Bogus net zero claims drive up the cost that ultimately everyone will pay, including people who will pay the most who are not in these rooms. They will pay that through huge impacts, through climate migration, and with their very lives. You heard the UN Secretary General once again giving both barrels to the fossil fuel industry and Catherine McKenna from the Net Zero Expert Group on why we need to crack down on greenwashing. And we'll have more from Catherine McKenna in a few days' time on Decarbonisation Day. And we'll also hear about how we can go beyond net zero to net positive, actually removing carbon from the atmosphere, which is something we're going to have to do if we can really get the climate crisis under control. Now, Lara, the Secretary General was speaking at a couple of other events today. Do you want to take us through them? Yes, he spoke this morning on an event accelerating adaptation in Africa. He obviously made a call for adaptation and especially a call for countries to invest massively because um, 
they are not spending much money in addressing the consequences of, of the climate disaster that are already happening. They're spending a lot of money in mitigation, which is trying to reduce the emissions, but there are consequences that we're not going to be able to avoid. So there must be more money for that. And Africa is one of the, con one of the continents that, uh, well, is the continent that produces less emissions, but has uh, the biggest chunk of the impacts. Now, we had an event marking the Sharm el-Sheikh climate agenda this afternoon, and that involved, amongst others, Simon Steele, the new head of UN climate change, and the COP27 high-level champion Mahmoud Mahildin, as well as experts and youth activists. Let's first of all hear from Simon Steele. We need to transform every sector of our economies and do it rapidly. So while these discussions may represent a good start, it's only the beginning of our journey. It's a journey that requires different mindsets towards getting the formal stream to flow with the informal stream so that they're moving in one powerful direction. That means bringing credibility and accountability. This includes ensuring everyone follows through on their promises. I urge you to use this event and the next few days to begin bridging our existing gaps, seizing the opportunities that await us and establishing a clear and credible process to put all climate action on the track that science has identified and that humanity and nature demands. That was Simon Steele, the head of UN Climate Change. And we don't have Greta's famous blah, blah, blah from uh, last year. <laughs> She's boycotting the event, actually. There are plenty of other youth activists at COP27 ready to speak truth to power. And Sophia Kiani, the founder of Climate Cardinals, an international non-profit, and also the youngest member of the UN Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change, forcefully did just that during the meeting. When it comes to climate action, some governments and business leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. Hundreds of new oil and gas leases have been released by some of the richest nations on the planet. Through their actions, politicians and business leaders are killing any hope at preserving 1.5. There is still not a single country that has a climate commitment compatible with 1.5. Meanwhile, over 7 million people are dying prematurely every single year from breathing toxic air from the burning of fossil fuels. If the world took the action to meet WHO air quality guidelines, we would save millions of lives, $8 trillion, and drive real climate action. But what do leaders do? They keep greenwashing. They keep making excuses for not taking action. They keep lying. That was youth activist Sophia Kiani adding to the chorus condemning greenwashing. The Sharma Sheikh adaptation agenda is kind of a list with 30 different outcomes that the country should be working on 
related to adaptation. They have like points on food security and agriculture, water, human settlements, ocean cities, and among others. Adaptation has been the big, big topic today. You know, the World Leaders Summit continues, so there's a lot of country statements. There's been a huge call for finance of adaptation. Well, let's go back to early warning systems. Uh, that was a five-year plan that was launched yesterday. Now, Martin Griffiths, the UN Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs, is at COP until tomorrow. He's been meeting donors and donor countries, he's been networking and speaking at various events. Well, his office is involved in that five-year plan to make early warning systems available to all. Early warning systems meaning measures that can help communities prepare for climate shocks. And he explained how early warning works and also how it ties into a wider trend of giving cash directly to those in need. We have in the last couple of years been working very hard on something which is called anticipatory action. It's essentially acknowledging the fact that for a certain kind of natural disaster, floods, typhoons, so forth, you can, with a certain amount of confidence, predict when they come. And if you can do that, and if you can create a framework for how to address it with pre-positioned stocks, money ready to go, so that when that disaster strikes, the communities have their options. So early warning of a, a, a potential disaster is the first part of that, and we're very much centrally involved in that in countries that we work. Number two, linking that to reasonable action and predictable funding. There is enough research which shows that if you invest this kind of money in that kind of early action based on sound scientific early warning, you save a lot of money. And more importantly, perhaps, you give agency to the communities that are going to be affected by the, 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 the disaster that's coming their way because you give them the choice whether to move or not, whether to sell their animals or not, whether to leave home or not. You get the money to them early, you get food stocks if that's what's needed, but money particularly, because these days in the humanitarian programs around the world, cash has become increasingly a dominant feature of how you deliver. In Pakistan in the floods, it was, and no doubt still is ongoing, the principal way of getting immediate aid to the people is through a government-developed money in your, on your phone. And in Somalia, 98% of the World Food Programme's food deliveries is financial, is cash. I was Martin Griffiths, the head of humanitarian affairs at the UN, talking to me in a very boomy interview room. He also made a good point about the importance of working out exactly where climate finance is going, an issue that the humanitarian sector has been working to improve for several years. Now, you might think that the head of humanitarian affairs at the UN has little in common with the president of tech firm Microsoft, but both of them are involved in this plan to save lives by making sure that everyone gets fair warning ahead of the extreme weather events that are becoming more frequent because of the climate crisis. Brad Smith is the president of Microsoft, and he's also a sustainable development goal advocate. I met him earlier today. We recognize that it's critical. It will save lives if we can achieve the vision of putting in place in the next five years a stronger global early warning system. No longer will be will, do people need to hear about the risk of a flood at the very last minute or later. This is all about forecasting weather that is coming. 
And humanity has the ability to do this, but it's not universally applied around the world. One of the things that will accelerate early warning systems is better technology. There's lots of different technologies, but they all rely critically on the use of data, increasingly the use of artificial intelligence to build predictive models that harness the power of that data. And of course, to use that data, you need a cloud computing infrastructure so it's accessible and inexpensive. And that's where Microsoft is hoping to help. I think we can make a difference. We are huge believers in the importance of this early warning initiative. So we're very committed to helping advance it. This is achievable over the next five years if we all work together. I was Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, on how improved early warning systems could save millions of lives threatened by extreme weather events. Just before we go, let's talk about money. I mean, tomorrow is Finance Day, right? Am I right? You are right. Okay. But today, there were some promises um, from new countries to loss and damage. Well, actually, some of them were a couple from yesterday, another couple today. But just to like round it up, Germany has announced $170 million for loss and damage. Belgium, $2.5 million euros. But specifically for Mozambique, which has suffered terrible losses last year to do, due to stream brains. Austria also announced 50 million for loss and damage, and in Scotland, which was the first country uh, that pledged money for loss and damage last year at COP26, uh, they had pledged two million pounds, announced an additional five million pounds. So so far, only five European countries—Austria, Scotland, Belgium, Denmark, and Germany—have committed to address loss and damage. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll be talking more about loss and damage in the coming days but for now I think we should leave it there it's the end of the World Leaders Summit or the COP Implementation Summit if you prefer the negotiators now have many long days ahead of them we've been in touch with a couple of them and hopefully they will find some time to stagger out of the negotiating rooms at some point and give us an update Lara thank you very much and um, I see you're wearing fresh clothes now it must be so nice to have your suitcase back at last it is great great 